Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good morning to you. And there certainly is a noticeable change in the weather from the wonderful bright spring weather we've had for the last week or so and Met Aaron are warning us that we can just bid adieu and farewell to that spell of recent warm sunshine and April is bringing with it a dip in temperatures they're also saying there could be some heavy wintry showers even a risk of snow flurries now they're saying the risk of snow flurries would be on um, higher ground but there is certainly a noticeable dip in the temperature and we've got this icy air mass which is coming in over the country and it's going to see a very dramatic drop in temperatures. I mean, one day, was in the Thursday of last week, we had temperatures, it was a balmy 17 degrees. We were actually speaking about the fact that it was warmer in Ireland than it was in sunny Barcelona and we, we were thrilled with that. So from that, those balmy 17 degrees uh, we're looking at at best this week, about 8 degrees. So that's a 9 degree Celsius drop in temperatures. The medium range forecast though is a mix of sunshine, cloudy conditions with heavy showers. That's what we're looking at in the build up to Easter. However, the week before Easter is likely to offer the best weather of the month with temperatures up at about 12 degrees and uh, many areas will enjoy very very pleasant spells of sunshine and that's good because that week before Easter, the the children break up for school and they get two full weeks off now for Easter don't they certainly when I was going to school it was always Spy Wednesday you got a half day Spy Wednesday and you have the rest of that week and then all of the following week off but now with the standardisation of the school years they have the two full weeks off so they will be off the little ones and the older ones Um, will be secondary schools as well will be off for that week so it looks like that's certainly going to be the best of the week the week before uh, Easter Now the next four days are going to see limited spells of sunshine but widespread and occasional heavy showers it's going to turn particularly cold on Wednesday overnight temperatures are going to go below zero in many areas it could lead to a heavy frost in some areas Wednesday into Thursday morning and the warmest daytime temperatures will only reach 7 or 8 degrees uh, Celsius but by about the 10th of April so midway through next week some good uh, sunshine is likely to return with just limited cloud uh, cover so a kind of a mixed bag uh, for April so we welcome you along to the show today John Paul taking your calls 
calls at 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And hoping each and everyone had a lovely weekend. And for those of you that are mammies, uh, we hope that you had a lovely Mother's Day. It was great. I was out myself. Uh, I went to Clonmel visiting family and we all went out for lunch. And it's always such a busy day, isn't it, Mother's Day? And it was lovely to look around and see families and everybody having a nice time and the particular restaurant I was in I thought one of the sweetest things I saw was a young mother with her little girl of about six or seven just the two of them on their own a table for two in the corner and the two of them came in and sat down and they both uh, they were having coke and they they clinked their glasses together to say cheers and it just it looked like the sweetest thing I don't know the story behind the family in my own you know I mean I'm assuming that she was parenting alone but it was just the loveliest thing to see a young mother with her little daughter and you know having a special occasion together and I was thinking you know it's something that both of them will remember for many many years to come but I also yesterday I think more than a lot of other Mother's Days was very aware of how difficult Mother's Day can be for a whole host of women Because, you know, while for the majority of us who are lucky enough to have our children with us and and are lucky enough that we've good relationships with our children, Mother's Day can be a very special day. And it's a day where as a mammy you get spoilt and you're made to feel very special. And there's something lovely about that. But that isn't the case for everyone. I mean, I was thinking yesterday of those who have lost mothers and Mother's Day can be very difficult, particularly those first few years. And if you were in a typical family where you made a big fuss out of your mother on Mother's Day, that first Mother's Day where she's not there to make the big fuss can be a really, really uh, difficult uh, day. And then there are other mothers who have lost children, children who have passed away. You know, yesterday can be a difficult day for them. Let's be honest, you know, we don't all live in Disneyland. There's fractured families. You've got children who don't get on with their mothers. You've got mothers who don't get on with their children. Mother's Day can be difficult uh, for them. And then you've got a cohort of women who never became mothers and who dearly wished that they had become uh, mothers. I, I, You know, I remember many years ago speaking with a woman who had gone through all of the IVFs desperately trying for, for a, a child and had, had failed fertility uh, treatment and she used to absolutely hate Mother's Day. She said, you know, she found Christmas particularly difficult as well because it's all about children. But Mother's Day was the big day for her and she just didn't go outside her door. That was her way of dealing with it. She just did not go outside. She didn't want to see other happy families and that was her way of uh, dealing with it. And then there will be women who are on that journey, who are going through the IVF journey, desperately trying to be mothers, who would have been watching people out and about yesterday wondering, will you know, will that ever be for me, will I will I ever have that? So I'm very much conscious and aware that yesterday was difficult for a lot of women and they will be glad to wake up today and that it's all over for another year. 1850 Coming up on the programme this morning, we are going to uh, talk about community policing and rural crime. 
in particular getting reaction to an Oireachtas report that came out on Friday on community policing and rural crime. Now this Oireachtas report have been working for quite some time and they've been talking with uh, people in rural areas trying to work out what needs to be done. We know because we've dealt with the topic on many occasions on this programme. We know that there are people that live in fear in, in rural areas. We know that there are people that's leading to social isolation because people are afraid to go out of their, their own houses for fear that they're going to be broken into. Then houses that do get broken into trying to live and pick up the pieces afterwards. We've spoken with farmers and people working in agriculture, how they're getting affected uh, by rural crime. So I'm really interested in this Oireachtas report and what are the solutions and what do we need to do to make people feel safer in their homes and safer on uh, their farms. We're hearing about an online petition that has been set up in the last week or so and it's to do with the new traffic plan for Bandon Town. Now I don't know how many people in Bandon Town are are people who use Bandon Town, maybe commute to and from Bandon or through Bandon Town are aware that there's a new traffic plan or there will be a new traffic plan uh, coming in. Not everyone's happy with it. So we're going to be discussing that on the programme today. Graham McCormack is a mental health advocate and he's uh, an MMA fighter and trainer. One of these young guys who you would look at and you, particularly when you see him in photographs as an MMA star and you know the rippling biceps and you think well there's a lad that has his has it all together, has his life together and the amount of training that he has to put in but you, you never know what's going on behind the facade of even a happy smiling photograph of a young man you know looking at the peak of his uh, condition and for Graham McCormack he has quite a tough story to tell of battling mental health and he's battled from a very young age and I think I love to see young people like this who have worked on recovery and and no doubt is still working on recovery but is willing to share his story with other young people because I think other young people will identify with somebody like Graham and think if Graham can go through what he's going through then it's, you know, what, what I'm going through isn't unusual and to get that message out to young people. So we'll hear from Graham on the programme today. We're also going to hear from the Rainbow Club for Autistic Children. They have a wonderful fundraiser coming up. It's a dress sale and uh, it might be just the place that you need to go to get that bargain dress. So if you're looking for a dress for a particular occasion, we'll find out what's on sale at this dress sale and also find out a little bit more about the Rainbow Club for Autistic uh, Children. And uh, Annalise Drissel joins us in the final hour of the programme. Annalise from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. If you have a question for Annalise, get it in throughout the morning and we'll put it to Annalise in the final hour of the programme. There is a photograph that I want to give a mention to. It is on the front page page of it's on the front page of the Indo it's on the front page of the Examiner it's on the front page of the Irish Times and it is a photograph of a team of rugby players women's rugby they're the Westport Rugby Club and they were the winners yesterday of the Connacht Rugby Women's Cup and there's a photograph of them reacting after they accidentally broke the trophy that they had just been awarded and they were about to pose for the team photograph with this Connacht Rugby Women's Cup 
and they somehow managed to snap the cup in two. They've taken the top off. It's completely fallen off. It's actually snapped uh, in two. Because I was looking at it first, I was thinking, oh, maybe just it's meant to screw on. But seemingly, no, they just got a bit boisterous with the cup and the cup is broken. And the photograph is fantastic because it is just literally the reaction of the girls when they realised what they had done. They had just received the cup. It was at the at uh, NUIG at the Galway Sports uh, Grounds. They were thrilled, excited and somebody got a bit too boisterous with the cup and they've snapped it into. It's a great photograph as I say, it's making the front page of the Irish Examiner. It's on the front page of the Irish Independent. It's also on the front page of the uh, Times. So we're going to be talking about rural crime and texting saying, Patricia you've often highlighted rural crime on your programme. From my experience, says this texter, all haulier contractors and agricultural contractors going in and out of farmyards should by law all be all have their drivers guard the vetted. They also should not be allowed to bring strangers in as passengers because I am fearful that some of these may be going around checking out farmyards. It's just a belief of uh, mine but I think it's very important says this texter that everybody knows who's on their yards at all times would other people uh, agree. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm wondering, is Garda Vetting part of, it obviously isn't part of haulier contractors and agricultural contractors, except that the companies themselves would know who's driving uh, for them. I'm unaware of them bringing strangers in with them. Is that a common occurrence? And do would others feel the same, that there should be some kind of Garda Vetting done and no strangers be allowed on to a farmer's yard without the permission first obviously of the owner 1850 going to take a very quick break and then we're back looking at that Aroctus report that came out last week on community policing and rural crime Laura Gelga RC 103 Dos Albert and Ace in Winnick, Augustrasus Hair or Ulka Zurich. Hug Aher Albert, Composto Norvise, Kuiglin Dish, August Bae and Composto Sprague Einstein, and Stodere in their Magneticus and Downlux and Sposs. Kuig Einstein on Douche Noble and Physic, Sibling Nadeg Fehehein, Darer Dalvig, V. Ansime Galbert Secure, August Morakurebshe in a Physicure. Cardine's Gummukshay in a Kyotor. For Albert Einstein, boss, Aaron, shock to law deg, the Mirron, me de Quakey. Le Blur Guelga is Nisha Emage Bruno, well sculpt most of Ishmala. CK'd as a three Kirkig. For C103 photos, videos, and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, last week, the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Justice and Equality published its report on community policing and rural crime. The report has been welcomed by the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association and joining me from the ICSA is their president, Patrick Kent. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Firstly, how big a problem is crime in rural areas, in your opinion? Uh, sorry, could you repeat that? I, I, I said, how big a problem is crime in rural areas, in your opinion? Yeah, 
it's it is a it is a it is a it is an increasing problem over the recent years. But look, um, I've great faith in the authorities to tackle it, and uh, with interaction with different agencies and cooperation, and that it can be reduced uh, by greater observation and, and monitoring and so on. And, and uh, reporting of crime too, you know, farmers uh, in the survey um, that was conducted by WIT. Uh, a professor there and, 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 uh, and, and a few other people uh, discovered that 45% of crimes weren't being reported, you know, a lot of trespassing crime and that in, in rural Ireland. And, uh, uh, but greater reporting, observance, uh, CCTV and uh, so on, uh, it can be tackled, yes. Yeah, because um, on Garda Siakona say that agricultural crime and burglaries decreased last year and you would think, oh, well, you get some comfort from that. But then to hear you say 45% of farmers say they don't. Well, that was an independent survey. Yeah. You know? So, look, we need but more that would, that, But that we, would, but wouldn't know? that explain why the Garda numbers say the figures are down? It's because we need people to report all crimes. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what we would be pushing for uh, is, is, is prompt reporting of crime. Also, you know, any observance of suspicious activity or vehicles, you know, uh, recording of, you know, with mobile phones and all now it's very easy to take photographs of cars parked in strange places or whatever and, you know, if there is a crime that's, you know, reported after that then, you know, there would be evidence and so it would tackle that issue. You know, it might be uh, some completely innocent party but, uh, you know, the main thing is to is to monitor and farmers are very good at that, you know, uh, because, you know, they're working the land and they're working at odd hours of the night and so on, calving cows or lambing yows or whatever, you know, and, uh, sowing crops this time of the year in particular, you know, so so being, uh, you know, observant and, and, and aware and uh, using mobile phones and so on to record and report and so on, so, you know, crime should be tackled, it shouldn't be allowed to allowed to proliferate and also repeat offending, you know, has got to be tackled as yeah. well by the authorities, you know, that's a huge issue. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the report recommends increased Garda patrols in rural areas. Uh, uh, Patrick, Garda visibility is vital. Huge issue, yeah. Actually, a lot of guards spend a lot of time now duplicating, you know, because they have electronic um, monitoring and so on of, of, of you know, of, of the recording of... of, of um, Pulse and so on, but you know, there's a lot of duplicate paperwork and, as well. And the free up guard from the desk duties, I think, should be done as well. Uh, you know, people that, uh, you know, uh, with less high qualifications could do that possibly. You know, um, I, I just think a lot of a lot of guard hours are spent behind desks, and, and, and that's not what they originally said to become guards to do. And, and, and uh, you know, from the interaction I've had with guards, they'd like to be. Uh, certainly um, out on patrol more and, and less behind the desk. Yeah, and they, uh, as, I, as I must say, farmers likewise, farmers spend an increasing amount of time now doing paperwork as well, you know, trying to comply with all the regulations yeah, and so yeah. on. So I'll just get that in there as well. Uh, yeah, it's a good point so. to make. Um, and and looking looking down at some of the other recommendations that, um, in this report, they say where guard the stations have closed, the guardies should hold regular meetings in community centres. Absolutely, you know, that, that's imperative. And, and, and also, you know, when there is something reported to them, to give a little bit of feedback. I know it's not always possible to give full feedback on, on crime issues, but certainly people need to feel, uh, you know, um, it was worthwhile reporting the crime in the first place and, and, and uh, a little bit of interaction and, and, and uh, so on uh, is helpful in that regard. 
Francis wants to know, does Patrick think fear of crime is leading to further isolation? Uh, Francis knows of two elderly farmers who are afraid to go outside their door for fear their house is going to be broken into while they're out. And that's awful to hear that. Unfortunately, uh, you know, when crimes are, are written on the paper, you know, and violent crime and so on and so forth, it, it plays on the minds of people that are vulnerable. And, uh, you know, so that's it's got to be it's got to be tackled. You know, I need this repeat offenders need to be put away. And, uh, you know, they need to be stiff sentencing for any kind of um, mm. violent crime. So I, I just think that we need to certainly empower the, 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 the people by, by reporting such crimes very, very quickly and and so on and getting these people away and uh, <clears throat> you know I, I think it's, it's imperative and, and not allow repeat offenders out on bail and so on I, I just I just it's, it's not it's not it's not tolerable to, to have elderly people after working their lives very hard and uh, to be uh, subjected to that kind of fear The Oireachtas report looked at the and suggested communities installing CCTV do we need to make those schemes easier though to access uh, yeah, look, there's, there's a huge job work to be done there on that whole CCTV issue, you know, and, and, and you know, especially uh, monitoring roads coming off uh, motorways and so on and so forth to, to prevent, uh, you know, people coming from far distances and, and then committing, uh, you know, crime in, in remote areas and so on. So I, I just think, yes, there is, there is certainly, uh, there is a lot of work to be done in that regard, but it is being done as well. I'll have to compliment uh, the powers that be that, uh, you know, they really are um, up in the ante in that regard. And, and I think it's imperative that we support and interact and report and observe and record and do all those things and just be good citizens, you know, and, mm. and look after our elderly people, our vulnerable people, and, 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 and call in on them and, and, and make sure that they're, they're at peace and, and, and they're not being uh, interfered with in any way by, uh, you know, spurious people trying to sell them products and so on and so forth, you know, that. Anyone come and doing that sort of knocking on door, cold calling, uh, that's got to be monitored and those people have got to have identification. And, and uh, you know, certainly when they come into your, your premises uh, to, to, you know, record a vehicle, you know, the color, the, the, the number plates and so on and so forth and, and, and uh, have that on record so that these people are monitored. And if there is any crimes committed, uh, that is uh, quickly reported. Yeah, we had an elderly man only last week here. It was on our weekly uh, Guard the File. Uh, a gentleman in his 80s scammed out of €160 Euro by a guy selling shoes at the door and sure the shoes were worthless. He, they weren't even a pair of shoes um, when the guy was gone and the €160. Euro, a lot of money for an 87-year-old man to lose at his front door. Yeah, but the yeah, message is you just don't entertain those people. Absolutely don't entertain those people. If people, if, you know, if, if, if uh, particularly everybody people, uh, you know, they should confront people like that. Yeah. And uh, and and um, you know, make sure that you you identify them and and, and uh, monitor their activities and report it. And social media is a good way of reporting that sort of thing as well, putting it up there that there is some suspicious activity in an area and to monitor it. You know, I I in all favour of that. You know, people we also get people though scammed, Patrick, who are embarrassed that they got scammed, and it goes back to your forty five percent of under reporting. Some people don't want to report because they're embarrassed that they got caught out. You know they can they can they can you know be slightly vague and they needn't to you know they can uh, you know monitor you know send out alerts in their area that there is uh, yeah there is uh, you know they've nothing to be embarrassed you know, about though because these are scam not. artists actually the embarrassment should be the other way yeah the guilt should be put on the person the perpetrator of this sort of crime and uh, and certainly uh, 
any person should never feel embarrassed. They should mm. actually feel empowered by going public on the issue and, and uh, making sure it doesn't happen to somebody else. I think is the imperative, you know. And uh, I also but, liked in this report that it recommended a dedicated community guard be assigned to, to each district. I always think it's vital that the Gardaí are known in the communities. It is, yeah. Look, the Gardaí are very professional and, and they're very, very um, overworked in lots of ways. But as I say, freeing them from office work and, and get them out on, uh, in, you know, into the community and doing the policing in the community, that's where they get the knowledge. And, uh, you know, uh, guards need to be able to go out and do that, and I think, and to be visible there and uh, interact with the local community. So I think that's, that's an imperative. Okay, so Patrick, what now happens to this report? I mean, I'm assuming it will need cross-party support to implement the findings. Well, look, uh, certainly it's not to be shelved anyway. This, this report is to be acted on and okay. to be, you know, to, to be used as as a, as a yardstick, as it were, to, to move forward on and to improve on and so on. Okay, well, we'll uh, keep a close eye on it, uh, Patrick. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Patrick Kent and Patrick is the president of the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. 1850 333 uh, And Noel, this is on the issue of the listener who said that all hauliers and agricultural contractors should be guarded the vetted. Noel says all licensed hauliers are guard the vetted. They must be when they apply for their licence. OK, that is that is good to know. Thank you for that, uh, Noel, to 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 And you keep your calls and your texts coming. I can see a number of people commenting on rural crime and lack of guardie on the beat and people bringing up about the closure of rural guard the stations and the effect that that has had on crime in rural areas. I'll get back uh, to all of your points because, but I want to move on because an online petition to Cork County Council has been set up asking the council not to turn the gateway to West Cork into the bottleneck of West Cork to discuss local concerns about a new traffic plan for Bandon. I'm joined by Zoe Tennyson. Uh, Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. Well, you're very welcome. This is called the T-PREP Traffic Management Plan. Can you outline your concerns about the plan? Well, I mean, there's plenty of positive things in the plan and we're delighted to have it, you know, to bring good changes in Bandon. Um, But there's a big concern about the northern bypass that the T-Prep plan um, is proposing. So they're proposing to build it in two phases, um, which will see all the HGV traffic being routed back into Bandon, so it wouldn't really be a bypass. It would be like a, a relief road. Um, so the HDV traffic will be coming um, down um, the McCroom Road, past Brogan's, past Pep Town Park, down Kilbrogan Hill, and then taking a right at the Copper Grove. And we just don't feel that this is a good enough plan for Bandon. You know, we want to see... Um, a northern relief road built, but we want to see it built in one complete phase that will bring the traffic from the N71 right onto the, the Dunmanway Road. We think that would be a better option for the town. OK, was there public meetings held to discuss the thinking behind the plan? 
Oh, there was, yes, there was. There was meetings, I think, um, 2015, possibly 2016, and local residents got together after that, and we had a public... We had a separate public meeting, I suppose, in the Copper Grove um, after the consultations and objections were made from locals, local people in the area. Um, I mean, the plan is, is, is going to take away all our parking on Kilbrogan Hill. It's, um, you know, it's going to impact our footpaths. Um, is this for people? So, this is for people who live in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a residential area, you yeah. know, so it's going to remove all of our parking on Kilbrogan Hill. And we just feel like it, it, it's going to turn Kilbrogan Hill into um, what we can see has happened to North Main Street. You know, um, it, it, it's an old part of town and we just don't feel like it's appropriate to have that level of heavy traffic on those roads. You know, there's a lot of schools in this area um, and we have the soccer pitches. And yeah, we it's, have, a, it's a busy part of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, and it, I mean, it's not just impacting the people who live on the north. You know, families bring their kids over to Brogan School up to Hamilton High. Um, we have the boys' school and the girls' school, the presentation schools here on this side of town so it's and we have a lot of people walking to school which is which is what we want to see for Bandon. we want to see you know people using walking around Bandon rather than it being very car dependent okay and this plan is it set in stone or is it still uh, just a proposal um well i i think it's gone to final draft or final stage the plan um but, I mean, we're talking to um, our representative, Gillian Coughlin, um, has been very supportive and, you know, agrees with us, thinks that the the plans to bring the, all the HGVs, all the through traffic back into the north side is a bad idea. Jim Daly as well has been very supportive of, 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 of our... Of, of us and suggested that, you know, Bandon is an example of what you shouldn't do with bypasses, you know, like we've kind of, he, he was saying like we've suffered enough in terms of bad planning, you know. Okay, so you um, said you set up this online petition. Are many yeah. people aware of the plan? Um, we're, we're a part of a group called Northside Neighbours and we've also done a door-to-door, kind of knocking on people's doors and a hundred percent of the people that we've knocked on doors um, have signed our paper petition, okay. and the awareness is fairly low. Unfortunately, you know, like the T Prep plan is a, a document that's a hundred and eighty something pages. You know, <laughs> wow. so, you know, like it, it, it's a big document to to swallow. You know, like I I read it myself, and it, it there's a lot in it. Um, so, you know, the awareness is fairly low, but it, it's increased now on the back okay. of us, on the back of us. Um, so you're hoping that your your petition is to Cork County Council to get them to take another look at this. Yeah. To, and to, to take on board your suggestions. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, we, we want all the through traffic 
to to use a northern bypass that will be complete, not a half bypass, mm. you know. Um, yeah, we just we would just want to engage with the local council and to find a solution that's right for everyone. You know, we don't want to see the destruction of the north side of town. Okay, and your online petition is on change.org? Yes, yes. Fin- I think we finish we the bypass. Okay, I, I think John Paul is going to organise that. We'll get it up yes. on our Facebook page. Okay, oh, and we'll. Also, it's on the This Is Bandon page, the Facebook page. The link is on there. Okay. And we, we will keep in contact uh, with you, uh, Zoe. In the meantime, thank you for that. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Zoe Tennyson, who is part of that online petition trying to get Cork County Council to change their mind on their traffic plan for Bandon. 1850-333-103. Can I go back to, for a couple of minutes, back to rural crime, an increase in rural crime and this Aroxas report that has come out looking at community policing and saying what needs to be done in rural areas and there's a lot of really really good suggestions that hopefully will be taken on board and will be put in. I mean, particularly stuff like the installation of CCTV cameras, that is one way of trying to track down criminals coming into an area but you can't beat Boots on the ground. You can't beat a member from Garda Corner out actually policing an area. And that's what a lot of people are saying to us. And that's, in fairness, is one of the things that does come out of this uh, report. It does recognise and recommend that we need to have increased patrols in uh, rural areas. George in Beira says, while I do agree we need more Garda on our roads and out actually policing. I do think Garda stations advertised as closing down just highlights the fact of lack of policing in a certain area. Highlighting a Garda station closure is showing the criminals where the weak spots are in the system. So I'm assuming from that, George, if a Garda station closes, you're saying that the media and nobody should pay any reference uh, to it. Is is that you're thinking and where you're coming from? Marion and Dunhamore says, I also agree we need more Garda out on patrol but I do question the amount of breathalyzing that is taking place on weekend mornings. It's mainly near churches. What is the point of that? It is only scaring people says uh, Marion and Niall in Kinsale says kind of tied in really with Marion and Dunamore says what about the comments made by Finian McGrath stating what everybody is saying but then had to change what he said. He mentioned about the breathalysing that's happening the morning after and the amount of the breathalysing that's happening with people heading to Mass on a Sunday morning. Surely this man must still believe that. Others are thinking this, but just not saying it. How can Finian McGrath say one thing on a Saturday morning and then 24 hours later say, oops, sorry, I didn't mean it. It's an issue and it's an issue that needs to be raised again. And it's an issue that I have to say is all over the papers today. Finian McGrath, with some papers saying actually his career hangs in the balance. Senior Fine Gael ministers were furious with Finian McGrath's accusation that Gardaí were carrying out unnecessary breathalyzer checkpoints and he said they were doing it because they, the Gardaí, opposed the controversial new drink driving laws. And there has been 
uproar since Finian McGrath made the comments to the point that Finian McGrath had to come back out and apologise and say that he didn't actually mean what uh, he said. But Niall and Kinsale and we're getting some other calls saying the same thing, saying Finney McGrath is saying what a lot of people are thinking. The Gardaí may disagree and say that they're not doing it because they're opposed to the new drink driving law or they're not um, they're not deliberately targeting people on Sunday mornings. But anecdotally, and it has to be anecdotally because no one has firm figures on the number of breath testing that's taking place the next day. But certainly we're hearing it here into the programme. People saying they're going to Mass and they can see evidence of the Gardaí out operating breath tests and checking for drink drivers on a Sunday morning. And people say that they're seeing a lot more than they ever saw before. There was never that number of checks the following morning. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Jim by WhatsApp to 0862103103 commenting on a story that's been running on our news bulletins all uh, morning and it is to do with a trial of a mobile phone lane on footpaths that's in the Victorian quarter of the city. Jim says, I hope that they have a one-way system for the heads down lane. And the story we're running with the work has already begun on McCurtain Street and the surrounding areas to come up with this new lane on the footpath which is just for people who like to walk and text at the same time. I mean if you're out anywhere in the city, anywhere in town anywhere in villages I imagine it seems to be a new phenomena with I won't just say the younger generation because they've seen older people do it as well walking along, texting at the same time or else scrolling, reading something on their mobile phone and of course they're bumping into each other so the idea behind this scheme is it would allow texting while walking and you'd be able to just get into this special lane on the footpath uh, and you would, it would stop you bumping into other pedestrians and it was it, the idea came and the suggestion came from traders on the Victorian quarter to say they're adapting the area for the head down generation that's what they're calling the generation who seem to spend so much time with their head down focused on their phone and Jim says hopefully it'll be a one way system for the heads down generation or else they'll all be bumping into uh, one another as I say that's been running on our news service all morning and check the dates the date folks it is of course April Fool's Day 1850 Some of your thoughts coming in. Now, reaction to the piece that we carried in the last hour on the Oroctus report, which came out last week. The Oroctus report into community policing, and it recommends a whole host of uh, different things to try to combat rural crime and and to try to get a feeling that people in rural areas feel safe and they feel safe because there's a guard the presence in their area. Heidi says, morning Patricia, I have to say listening to your speaker and our speaker this morning was uh, Patrick Kent who is the president of the ICSA. Heidi uh, said, listen with interest to your chat with him in rural er- about policing in rural areas. To me, it's just another let down for us that live and work in rural Ireland. Is it this government's intention to get all of us to live in towns or larger urban areas as it certainly looks like that as we see all of our facilities being taken away. We should start shouting and getting out and protesting 
like the yellow vest protest that's going on in France. They're now into their 20th weekend of protesting. We seem to roll over and give in in this country. I could go on and on over the number of different issues, things like the quality of our roads, shops closing down, planning decisions that are made, poor lighting, Gardaí that you're mentioning uh, today and to transport and that's to mention but uh, a few we should be out there, rural Ireland, Heidi reckons, should be out there, start our own yellow vest protest and uh, see what, uh, what, what would happen. And the yellow vest protesters in France are, are incredible how it's, how it's built. It worries me, though, though, the way some of the protesting has gone. I mean, there was the Champs-Élysées, some of the shops were absolutely destroyed and that kind of protest I can't stand. I think you can get out and you can protest but I think when you protest you know, do it not necessarily do it quietly, you can be noisy if you want but there shouldn't be causing disruption and um, there shouldn't be any sort of vandalism and unfortunately that's what happens when you get a large group like that together. It's almost like the pack mentality. You'll get a small group who will infiltrate and they'll use that opportunity to incite hatred be it against a community or be it against a government whatever it is and that's what always worries me about large protests like that but yes you you can never accuse the French of lying down and doing nothing Uh, when they see something is wrong they absolutely are the first ones out to protest and say no enough is enough and also getting reaction thank you for that Heidi also getting reaction uh, more people commenting on the Cabinet Minister Finian McGrath who has had to reverse the statement that he made at the weekend and retract the comments that he made where he stated that the Gardaí were carrying out unnecessary breathalyser checkpoints because he said he felt the reason they were doing it was they were opposed to the new drink driving laws and he said he was hearing it so much from an awful lot of his constituents were coming to him saying that the Gardaí are gone over and above when it comes to checkpoints and something needs to be done about it and Finney McGrath reckons it's not just him that others particularly those that live in rural areas are hearing the same thing from their constituents so he decided to speak out about it but then he came under massive pressure and he ended up having to do a U-turn and he came out and he said nobody's more supportive of the work of Angarda Shia Kona uh, than I am and he said his, his comments at the time were prompted by concerns raised with him over the past number of weeks but he acknowledged the concerns um, and that his claim of political policing and the enforcement of drink driving regulations was wrong and saying that he was happy to withdraw the comments but some people feel he was pressurised into doing it and that that he is speaking up on behalf of a number of other people and that's what we're asking the question today have you noticed an increase in breathalysers or checkpoints be they the morning after or at night time I don't think anybody would be against an increase in more drink driving checkpoints in sort of that midnight to 2am time of the day I mean that's when I think you're most likely to catch uh, drink drivers even though last time we looked at was the last week before we had figures that were in on the drink driving those that have been caught since the start of this year and there was it was I think it was over 1,500 had been caught and was it something like 17% am I right on that? I can't remember the exact figure but there was a number had been caught and it was Sunday morning 
it's between 8 and 11 I think in the morning that people would say traditionally the time the families are heading out uh, going to Mass. Uh, hi Patricia this is a WhatsApp in from Tom. I am a truck driver so a professional driver and yes the Gardaí are way busier lately in the mornings. I got bagged going to work just this morning and yes I had had a a drink yesterday just a few I was at home last night but the reading because I'm a truck driver and I'm a professional driver is less than it is for a normal motorist you have to be literally almost at zero when you blow into the breathalyzer if I had failed this morning by even a small margin my job would have been gone I was fine thank God but you never know this law is so wrong and we could all and you can see it in all of our villages. They are uh, they're all dead because, yeah, because of the changes in the law and the changes on the, not the enforcement of the law, but the changes of the penalties. If Tom had been over the drink drive limit and as a professional driver, it's 20 milligrams or millilitres of alcohol, whereas for anybody else it's 50 but 20 yeah I mean the barest amount of alcohol and you would register as 20 and you know the Gardaí and the lawmakers would say that's the way it's got to be these are professional drivers but it's the following morning where somebody could be caught they could just be ever so slightly over the limit on that 20 millilitre mark and Tom would be off the road he would lose his job well he'd be off the road for three months because that's what's happening now if you get caught uh, drink driving you're instantly off the road for three months I'm assuming that the penalty points still go with that as well but you would be off the road and as a truck driver his job would be gone so yes truck drivers have got to be very very careful 1850 Hi Trish this is from Joe in Aragon I was watching the hurling match yesterday Mayo and Kerry anybody else see it it was on in Park. I thought it was disgraceful, says Joe, the way the Mayo fans were not allowed onto the pitch afterwards. God help Croke Park, says Joe. If Cork hurlers win an All-Ireland, I'll be out in that field, says Joe from Araglin. And I wonder how many more would follow suit and would follow Joe out onto the pitch. Or would the powers that be in Croke Park be able to keep you off the pitch? They seem to have done well in keeping the Mayo fans off the pitch yesterday. But do others agree? I mean, it's done. I'm assuming if I get on to Croke Park, they'll say it's done for health and safety reasons. Is that it? Or is it to, or is it is it done to protect the pitch itself? Or is it done to protect the fans in health and safety? I mean, there was a time that as soon as that final whistle went, everyone was had poured out onto the pitch. I don't know how long it is since that's actually stopped since they've stopped allowing pitch invasions. But yeah, it's people growing up would say it was a rite of passage. They would have remembered as children going to Croke Park and, you know, Cork winning and running out onto the pitch. And as you got older, you know, it was you were running out onto the pitch with your children, etc. And I wonder, do people miss that? Or is it, I, the only thing I will say about when, particularly in All-Ireland, when everybody runs onto the pitch, I always feel for the players when, you know, they've just given their absolute all be it for example in an All-Ireland final and then to be surrounded by the fans now maybe they love being surrounded by the fans or do they need to get a bit of a breather and do they need to sort of does it need to be done calmer by not allowing the fans onto the pitch your thoughts welcomed uh, on that but certainly Joe in Aragon says if Cork win in All-Ireland nothing 
nothing is going to stop him heading out onto the pitch. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A plasterer is wanted for the North Cork uh, area while washing up staff are required in the Corporate Court restaurant at Simbalihay and in their Kilworth restaurant. Specsavers in Bandham, they are looking for persons for full and part-time customer service positions and a person wanted to help with tidying a farmyard and general maintenance that's in the Castle Magna, Canturk area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, Lichine's House, the suicide prevention charity in West Cork, will this weekend officially open a book library that will help to promote positive mental health in the community. The library will be opened by Graham McCormack, MMA coach and mental health spokesperson who joins me to share his own personal story. Good morning to you, Graham. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Does sharing your own story not only help others, but does it help you? to see how far you've come? It does. Um, there's points where, I suppose when I'm bringing up my story, it, it's very emotional and it brings up all feelings. But normally after, like, you know, with with any emotion and things like that, this too shall pass. And once that subsides on reflection, then it, it's like, I, when I'm looking back, I go, wow. You know, because, it, yeah, you gave, pride. you gave a very honest interview on the Late Late Show at the about four weeks ago. Um, I imagine, did you get a huge reaction to that interview? I did. It was absolutely massive. Yeah. Um, I was getting message after message of people saying that, you know, what you were speaking about there, th- that's me. Or that's my daughter you were speaking about there. Very similar, very same reactions. You know, um, I had a few people asking me to come and do talks. I had a few companies, I had a few schools. Um, it was massive. Great. And I think the reason for that was that, you know, being open and honest about this certain type of subject was, you know, it was a bit of a shock to people, you know, um, because, you know, we're just very quiet about things and, you know, where has that got us so far? Because when you were a teenager battling your own demons and, and going through, you know, mental health issues, did you very much feel you were on your own, that there was no one else going through what you were going through? At that time, yeah, it was, it was, I suppose it was an inflamer for how I was feeling. It really inflamed it. To feel alone um, is probably one of the worst feelings I've ever felt. Loneliness. And to be alone with your own emotions was horrible because the worst thing about it all is that no one can feel those feelings for you. And you feel like if you do open up, people are going to judge you saying, Jesus, that's scary, Graham, because that's a fear that no one else feels like you. Um, which actually is not true. Mm. And that's why it's important for you to get your story and your message out uh, to others. But I think what's incredible about your story, uh, Graham, is the age at which you first started. When you look back now, you were very young when you started to battle mental health issues. Yeah, I was seven, actually. I was in um, an all boys primary school. And I came home one day my mother asked me how I was, the usual. Uh, I actually deflected away from that and I ran upstairs and I looked myself dead in the eye in the mirror and I started punching myself in the face as hard as I could. 
um, what was going on there was I was actually being bullied in school and it was horrible do you think that was the do you think that was the trigger was the bullying the trigger um, well, it was later in life diagnosed with a mental illness. So whether that was playing in the background at that time, I do not know. But that aside, bullying in general is absolutely horrible. Yeah, and it just it's shows. Different. Don't ignore bullying. No, it can trigger things that are that can literally be lifelong. You had your you, you had a your first attempt at suicide at, at nineteen. How how did you feel? After was it relief that you were still alive, or what? What did you feel afterwards? I suppose by after, um, we could break that down into kind of time frames. Immediately after, when I was put into the psychiatric ward, no, I was not happy that I was still alive. I was not grateful. I was not nodding. I was actually a bit po'd that, that that I was still alive. Um, I got treated in there for about six weeks. I was basically pummeled with medication. Um, after about six months after being released, I started to feel somewhat better because I joined the gym and I started training and stuff like that. Um, then it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, sh- you know, I'm here now in this moment. I'm feeling a bit better. But immediately after the attempt, no, I was not happy at all. I was not grateful. I was alive, anything like that. In fact, quite quite the opposite is what I was feeling. Was that a shock, though, to your family? That first attempt? go that far it was yeah they had known that I was self-harming they had known that there was something going on uh, with my mood because it was constantly fluctuating I was you know giving out I was screaming and roaring I was crying they knew there was something going on um, but at that time I had not been diagnosed with anything but to go away and try it in my life that was um, a massive shock to them at that point yeah they didn't think it would go that far that quickly and then talk me through about getting the diagnosis and did that make a difference to actually have a, a label, a title to what was wrong with you? So at that time, which was around, it was coming into 2014, um, about, I suppose, it was about four years after my first suicide attempt, um, I actually tried to end my life again and I ended up in the psychiatric ward again. And... My psychiatrist came to me one morning, as she did every Thursday uh, while I was in there, and she said, Graham, I'm diagnosing you with emotionally unstable personality disorder. There and then. So it was, you know, it was a bit of a um, bit of a relief to kind of go, OK, here's here's something that makes a bit of sense to me. But the problem with that was, was that once I left my psychiatrist and went back to my bed, I was left with a belief that I was emotionally unstable for the rest of my life. And when you believe something, you have to act it out to relate back to the mind that is true. So I started acting even more emotionally unstable. And I actually got worse at that point. Um, to have a label, as I said, it, it, it is it is fine temporarily once you get a, kind of an understanding of what's going on for an individual. But you are also left with a label hanging over your head for the rest of your life. You know, um, I'm at a point in my life where I do not accept that label uh, anymore. Um, when I was in crisis over the years, yeah, of course, Jesus, yeah, I was emotionally unstable. But not now, at this moment, you know. Yeah, I mean... I am not my label, basically. Yeah, you, you strike me as somebody who went through periods where you were emotionally unstable, but that doesn't mean you're always going to be emotionally unstable. Yeah. Um, 
emotionally unstable is a, is a, it's it's a harsh term. It's like the word hate. I don't like the word hate either. Um, I was going to say I hate the word hate there, but <laughs> <laughs> you dislike the word hate, yeah? Yes, I dislike. I strongly yeah. dislike the word hate. But it's it's like we are all emotionally unstable at points. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we can, not all of us can control our emotions, and you know, some of like it depends then on the severity of that. I was severely uh, emotionally unstable at times. Am I still emotionally unstable now? Yeah, like, you know, I get anxiety. I guess you know, I get like I cry here and there, and I've no problem saying that. You know, but it's the judgment of it is now gone. I don't judge myself anymore for crying. Because when I was most, very emotionally unstable, I used to judge myself and that actually made it worse. Your so. journey to and your road to recovery, mindfulness plays a huge part in it. it you, you didn't take to mindfulness instantly, though. No. Um, when I got diagnosed with emotionally unstable personality disorder, they came along and said there was a therapy specific for my diagnosis. That therapy was called dialectical behavioural therapy. Now, it's similar to CBT, which would be cognitive behavioural therapy, but it is specific to people who have my disorder. So that's just a few different skills. It's more intense. And I suppose the the main thing about it is that it's mindfulness-based at its core. So everything is based around mindfulness. And I remember sitting down with my psychotherapist for the first session um, of this therapy that I was starting, which was a year long. And she said, okay, we're just going to practice some mindfulness. And I went, oh, here we go, this crap now again. (laughs) That was my mindset towards it. Um, I was just a young lad, a typical lad. Oh, mindfulness, that's a lot of crap. So I sat down anyway, and I gently closed my eyes, and I just opened my eyes straight away. Within seconds, I went, no, 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 not a hope. What was going on for me there was I was actually afraid of my own thoughts. I I mean, like, when... We all experience it at night when, we, when we're trying to go to sleep, when we close our eyes. You're actually just left with your head and what's going on in there. And for some people, it's an okay place. And for others, it's hell. And at that point for me with the therapist, it was hell. Um, that I think is so, one of the saddest statements that I've ever heard where you, um, you were scared of your own thoughts and what was going on in your head. Because there, there's no escape from that. When you when, well, when you're in crisis, when you're at that point where you're actually, I mean, sleep. You, you must have, you must have little or no sleep during those periods. No, there was practically no sleep at all, really, um, for years on end, because of what was going on in my head. Um, if I did sleep, um, it was because I was severely medicated, and that's not necessarily sleep. That's actually drug-induced coma. Yeah, um, that's actually what that is. So I wasn't necessarily sleeping of my own accord. Um, I was just passed out. So if I did try and sleep on my own accord, that's where the struggle and challenge would be because I was just left with my own thoughts. I mean, you, you touched on it there that unfortunately, and it's it's very hard to hear for some people, that you can't run away from your own thoughts no. um, as much as you want to. You can run away from external factors. If you, do you know what I mean? If you don't like your neighbourhood or something like that, you can just move into another one or you can skip country if you don't like your country unfortunately with the mind it goes with you everywhere um, now that's not a horrible thing either because some people as I said it's an okay place for them and they can move around freely without any challenges but for some as I said it's hell and you can't run away from your own thoughts So you stuck with the mindfulness? I did I did indeed um, 
when I started that therapy, um, dialectical behavioural therapy, I signed a year contract um, that I would, no matter how hard things were, would get on the course that I would continue to do it and finish it out. Um, this course was a year long, so after about nine months, um, I had a habit of self-harming throughout that period of time on, on the course. And I remember one day I just had a kind of an aha moment from practicing mindfulness on a daily basis. That aha moment was me discovering what was going on for me when I was self-harming. Um, to give you an example, um, in that moment, what I observed was I thought, Graham, you're a scumbag. And then I had a feeling, you know, of shame, of worthlessness. Then I observed an urge come up, an urge to self-harm. Then I understood they had a choice in that. And then normally after the choice would be the action of self-harm itself. So it was broken down into stages. I mean, everything comes from an urge. If you have an itch on your leg, you'll feel an urge to scratch it. I was like that with self-harm. I would feel a horrible emotion, an urge would come up, and I'd hurt myself. Um, thankfully, through my voice, I was I became aware of those stages that, that, that plays out. Um, I observed the choice section, and I chose to implement the skills that I learned on the therapy instead of self-harming. And it's working. It has worked. I have not self-harmed for over four years. Well done. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got to be very proud of that statement. I haven't self-harmed in over four years. I actually am. Do, do you know what? Um, you, I, I, it hasn't been brought into my awareness in a while and you've just brought it up there now again and I felt a feeling of pride for that. Yeah, and, and, and you should. And, and you really should. So you're, you're, you're going to Lishin's house. Are you aware of Lishin's house? Are you aware of the, what they do there? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I was. I know Noreen. Um, we've had a good few conversations over the last couple of months, and they do absolutely amazing work down there. Um, it's not funded or anything like that, um, so it's not easy for them to continue. But I'm really looking forward to the opening of the library, as, as I'm a, a bookman myself. Well done. Uh, we need more facilities like Lachine's and Pieta Houses, and we just need more and more of them, uh, um, because unfortunately, more and more people are starting to get diagnosed with anxiety or even those that are not getting diagnosed battling with mental health issues. And that's why I think your story is so important. I mean, you're just, you're an incredibly inspiring young man. And I think you, if you, you probably already have saved lives from people who've either heard you at one of your talks or seen you online or seen you on on the Late Late or listened to an interview like this. Uh, and you will in the future save lives. And that's, you know, you could, that's something else you can be incredibly proud of. So listen, good luck on your journey of recovery. And uh, enjoy the enjoy the opening of the book, um, the book library. It's next Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, the 6th. OK, at two o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. uh, Island Street Centre in Skibbereen. Listen, uh, Graham, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. What a lovely young man, uh, Graham McCormick. Now, next uh, Sunday, the Carrigaline Court Hotel will be the venue for a dress sale with proceeds in aid of the Rainbow Club for Children with Autism. To preview the event and tell us more about the Rainbow Club, I'm joined by Karen O'Mahony, who is the CEO of the Rainbow Club. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Okay, before we talk about the club, tell me a little bit about this big day that's planned for next uh, Sunday, Dress to Impress. Yes, um, I suppose, you know, it's it's kind of coming a popular, it's 
becoming a popular event now around the city and uh, for different organisations. But for us, um, we we actually have had it uh, previously. We didn't have it last year. So basically, it's all dresses on sale for the day, and they range from five euros up. Okay. Um, we have shoes and bags, and basically, women can come. I can they they can do their their buying and their shopping. The Carrigaline Court is very good. There's always a lunch. They, they, they have a bistro next door and they can do like lunches and stuff. Um, and the ladies really enjoy it. Our mums and lots of helpers come in on the day and all the racks are all laid out, all the different sizes. Um, so you can shop and you can you can shop for, for an hour. You can shop all day. Um, and where do you get all the dresses from? All the dresses are donated. Um, we've had, um, I suppose we've always been very lucky really over the years, um, mums and, and aunts and relatives of, of children in the club and, and friends and relatives of all of us, um, would all donate dresses. Shops and boutiques sometimes, they'd always send us on stuff. I mean, some dresses, a lot of dresses would have tags on them, they would be worn. Um, and again, with shoes and bags, um, you could literally have donations from anybody. Sometimes they're anonymous. Um, sometimes boxes of shoes, um, brand new shoes are donated, they're sent down. Um, but I think there's up to a thousand dresses on sale on Sunday, um, all different sizes. They go right up the whole way. And, um, and are we in, talking in, all different styles and anything from yes, yes, something yes. that you might wear to a glitzy wedding right through to something you might yeah. wear to work? Yeah, you'll have your you'll have your general casual wear, you'll have dressy and um, dresses and then you'll also have your evening gowns. Wow. And the evening gowns are particularly popular because I suppose they can they be anything as cheap as twenty or thirty euro. Um and I don't think it goes up any 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 dearer than twenty or thirty euros in price anyway. And I suppose because there's so many balls on I mean we have balls ourselves, um, in October. You do the so masquerade is, ball, don't yes, you? Yeah. Yes, we do. And um, we do two well, we did three last year. Our two balls have just gone out for sale there now, one sold out straight away. The other one is nearly gone as well. So if there's demand there for third one we'll have a third one. Um but again, women can buy their, their full rig out there for thirty or forty euros, you know. Um, and people will know what often happens with ball dresses. You'll you might go out and you know, for some ladies they can spend big money on ball dresses and they'll oh, wear yeah. it they'll wear it the once and then they'll <laughs> donate it to a place like your dress sale. You could be yeah. getting a real bargain. Exactly. You can get some beautiful dresses. I mean, they're always very popular. And they are always sold. There is very, very little of the evening wear left. left. Um, and I suppose because this time of the year, you have a lot of confirmations, communions and weddings. You can actually you can actually get your whole outfit there because you can match your shoes and your bag. Um, a lot of the ladies that are there are, are you know, they're, they, they'll do great advice. And there's a big, a big section at the back where you can try dresses on during the day. Um, you can take in your bundle of stuff and you can try them on. You can look at them and come back out and shop again you know um, it's a great day and I suppose the mo- the main purpose of it is to raise funds for the club the charity that we have is not government funded presently um, and we're hoping to change that this year uh, we're, we're looking to, to get some um, some funding in for the new building and um, to keep to, I suppose to take us to the next step really to help Okay so, back, so, so, so take me back the Rainbow Club was set up it's only about it's only three years it's a relatively new club It's four years Four years Yeah we set it up in 2015 Okay um, We set it up with 22 children the first week and I think we had a budget of 617 euros is what we started with <laughs> um, Yeah 
And to date, we have in the club for one hour a week, and I'm saying per week, we have 408 children that can only access us for one hour. Um, we have 313 families waiting on our help, and we are really, really frustrated um, at the moment to try to get these families some bit of support. But we don't have space here in Mahan in the building that we're in because it's a shared community centre. So we know that we can help families because we're already doing it over four years. Um, and what do you do? What, what, what goes on at the club? So basically the children come in and we run social skills groups and, and the social skills group will have, they've been designed and, and um, the programs have been developed by us here specifically because it's the children that have really um, shown us the path. They're the ones that are teaching us all of the time because they're the ones that are living with autism. So the social skills groups are all run around the idea of that the children come and they have somewhere that they can be accepted. Okay. And that they could be supported within that social play. So socially, our children struggle massively. Um, and it can be right across the board. It can be anxiety or stress or just having very poor social skills. And being able to make the simple things like visual cues or being able to interact with another, with another child. Um, it can be very scary and it can be something that they have huge difficulty with. So the social skills group basically will help them to build those skills um, in a supported environment with our volunteers um, to help them to be able to make friends and interact, play together as a group, learning the skills like finishing and waiting and turn-taking and then finally then you move it on from there then to be able to, I suppose the end goal here is that children can then, if they no longer need the club, then they can go into groups outside. Um, so mainstream, football, hurling, uh, guides, you know, all these other... And even even in four short years since you were set up, can you see the difference the club is making to some of the children? Yes, yes, I suppose. You know, we have we have lots of feedback from families all of the time. Parents regularly send us messages or letters. They'll send us a card just to say thank you. Um, I suppose, you know, we, we, we had four children leave the club last year and they left the social groups because they actually were now able to integrate into mainstream uh, clubs outside of How us. brilliant. But then at the same time, the parents and that child can still come to us for uh, support with therapies or with courses and events and stuff like that. So once you're in the Rainbow Club, you're always under the Rainbow Club and you can come back in at any stage that you need extra help and stuff. But the social groups are definitely, um, they are, I mean, they go from there. They can go to music groups and sports. Again, they're They've been developed around um, the autism and basically what is it? The ability to adapt something to be able to make it more accessible for a child that has difficulty in that area. Do do your yeah. families come from city and county? Yes. Yeah. Um, our catchment area is quite wide. We go out 61 kilometres outside the city. Um, so we're Cork and County. And I suppose... The more that people hear about us and learn about us, um, more families come through. I mean, Charlene in the office, she gets on average between 6 and 11 emails a day from families looking for help. Um, parents just looking for somewhere that their child can go to um, and for them to get support as well as parents. So, you know, the, the more, I suppose, the more public exposure we get, the more demand there would be. But I suppose we do have to say that this is probably the only one of its kind anyway. So on the magnitude of what we do, 
people will want to, to join it. So mm. that's why there's Absolutely. a need for a bigger building. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're on that road of trying to get a new a new home. Yes, yes, we found uh, we found a home um, that were really um, that that would fit our purpose. Okay. We have now started applications for uh, help with funding. We've started making connections uh, with businesses and um, a, a lot of, I suppose, like established businesses as well to partner with us. Um, we partner with the four colleges: uh, CIT, College of Commerce. Um, the UCC and um, Colossus of Oneva, we take students from them and we, we've started a lovely partnership there. Um, so I suppose the, the, the bigger picture here for us is is for it to be one one centre for everything so people can come to us if, they, if, if there's any area that they need help with. Um, the new building, we've just sent over a deposit to hold the building for us um, and then hopefully once once there's a, a contract uh, signed for for between us and the owner, we can then showcase the p- building and stuff to to help to give us that extra support where fundraising is. We haven't been able to give any of that information yet because a lot of this stuff has to be done in the background. Know, but we will. But we do only have twelve months to secure two million euros for this building. Oh, so a lot yeah. of money. It's a it lot is, of money. The building itself, when you look at the building and us in it and it's on 3.2 acres, yeah. it's massive. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about a 1,000 children per week in the first year that this building will be able to help. We'll be able to roll out our courses and all of our therapies. We can expand You, you could get to the stage where you won't have a waiting list. Exactly, yeah. And that yeah, would be the dream. List. Yeah. That's the dream, yeah. yeah. Um, that would be the dream, I suppose. You know, we've, we've, we've worked hard here to try to eliminate the list well, unfortunately, the more children that are diagnosed or on the journey to being diagnosed will always keep adding to that list. So if we if we start two children, another four or five have joined. We haven't been able to add any families since 2017. Um, and it, it's very frustrating because we know that we can help them and we know that what we're doing is working and it is helping the families and the children, but we just don't have the space to do that. So and it can for be us, for you know, you know for families yeah. who know you're there, know what you're doing, and they can they can become Massive. so isolated when they yeah. don't have that type of support. It's just yeah. it's incredible. It's really incredible what 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 you all do on a voluntary basis at the Rain, at the Rainbow Club, yeah. and you should be supported in in every way that you possibly can. Okay, dress to impress. It's in the Carrigal Line. The Court, Court Hotel. Hotel. Yes. The seventh is next. Yeah, it's next Sunday. So it's on from ten a.m. to four. Uh, is it advisable to come early to bag a bargain? Or the fact that you have so many dresses, there's all that you've, there's always dresses. I suppose. Look, it's, there, there's always a queue outside the door. Is there? Um, before it opens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose. Is our mummy's here originally? Our mummy, one of our mummies, Vicky Birmingham, she started this event um, herself, and we always laughed at the fact that there was always a queue outside the door. Um, another mummy this year, um, Nessa, Nessa O'Connell and Nessa Mitchell and Hannah Corbett are, are running this event this year. And the mummies are always great because, you know, they come on and they, they kind of, you know, when they have time, they give their time. Um, but coordinating this is massive. Mm-hmm. But the support that the girls have gotten has been huge as well. M&S have come in and helped out, you know, there's different um, boutiques, as I say. Brilliant. The important thing, I suppose, really is that you're coming on the day and you're just having a bit of time to yourself. You're meeting other parents and mums and you're doing a bit of shopping at great prices. So I suppose like the important thing is that every everything that's made on the day comes back into the charity. 
because we don't we don't really have huge expenses with these events. We pull together and, you know, we, we've built so many relationships over time. People sponsor and they donate towards it. Um, and it's always acknowledged on our pages and our website. So what is made on the day will go back into the charity because well, there won't be any expenses. Well, I hope it, you so. make, you, that you make lots and lots of money on the day. You're, you're a fantastic organisation. Long may you continue. Thank you. We'll Thank talk you so again, much. Karen. Thank you for Thank that. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining Thank us. You. Bye-bye. Uh, Karen O'Mahony, CEO of the Rainbow Club. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy, and this is why I switched to Shopify. I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. With the drag-and-drop theme editor, we don't need to hire a developer to do any coding. Each theme is automatically optimized on mobile. It's incredible. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Go to shopify.com slash listen to take your business to the next level today. Ozed. Beautiful weather. It's the first of April, and we were wondering: was there any swallows? When would we see? When would we get calls in about the first sighting of the swallows? And lo and behold, we've just got a call in. On and it normally isn't around the first of April. Normally, we're into April, mid-April, usually before the swallows start to appear. But somebody from the Moonabi area has been on to say four swallows arrived yesterday. So they actually arrived in March. Uh, well done. Now we remember, we all remember the Greek philosopher Aristotle, who said. One swallow doth not a summer make. Following the arrival of uh, swallows is nevertheless one of the surest signs that summer or at least a decent spring uh, is on the way. And they normally arrive from around mid-April. They'll stay with us until September and then, of course, they fly back to Africa for the winter and they are a very active bird when they're when they're here. They build up all of their food reserves and they can raise sometimes up to four families in that short period of time between April and September. So they're busy, the swallows are. So Moore Abbey, yesterday, as I said, that's the end of March, swallows were seen. Doesn't really surprise me with the wonderful weather that we had last week. So long may that continue. OK, some of your calls are coming in. Anthony, just staying on birds, said, Patricia, I thought I saw a hawk coming home from Cork near Mallow. It seemed to be swooping down and around. Anybody else ever spotted a hawk on the near Mallow? heading towards um, out the Limerick Road, heading in that general direction. Um, Anthony reckoned he spotted one uh, yesterday. Some of reaction to some of the stories we've been covering, some of the interviews we've had on uh, today. Very, very positive reaction. I'm not surprised by this to uh, Graham McCormack, who joined us in the last hour, sharing his mental health 
story and his journey and it's it's a dark story at times but it's one full of so much hope and positivity he's he is you know and I know we can bandy about and throw out words about inspiring and, and incredible but he really is such an inspiring young man and he has already by being so honest about it helped so many people and I know going forward he will continue to help so so many people and Maris was on saying what a fantastic interview with Graham so helpful and so informative and that's generally the type of calls we got in listening to um, Graham somebody else says Patricia listened with real keen interest uh, to Graham talking about uh, how he has battled with uh, depression well done to him I know of somebody who would benefit from the mindfulness that Graham is talking about the person I'm referring to lives in the Mallow area does anybody know where she could go for that type of mindfulness therapy love you programme also interesting I, I like, would, would like to remain anonymous which is a fine I, I, I don't know I mean I would suggest I mean if, if you think your friend could ha- could be helped because her story is perhaps similar in some way to Graham and could help from that mindfulness type of therapy. I would suggest a chat maybe with the GP, with her GP, that they may be able to point you in the direction off the top of my head. I don't know of anybody doing, it would be a psychotherapist, I'm assuming, was that's who Graham did his mindfulness with. Do all psychotherapists offer that type of therapy? I don't know, but we'll... I'm sure if it is available in the Mallow area, somebody will let us know. So if anybody knows where one of our listeners could get mindfulness, the type of therapy that Graham spoke about to help overcome anxiety and mental health issues, can you let us know? 1850 Can I also put to bed, and I did mention it in the last hour, but let me mention it again because I'm very aware not everybody's listening to us for every minute of every hour that I'm on air. And this is to do with the story that we ran up to the 11 o'clock news and then we stopped it after the 11 o'clock news and it is to do with the story of a trial mobile phone lane on footpaths in the Victorian quarter area of the city. The idea would be it's for the head down generation of people who live on their mobile phones and even when they're out on their own walking along We've all seen them. Maybe we've been there. Maybe we've been guilty of being part of the down, head down generation at one time. You're walking along, either reading something on your phone or texting something to somebody. So you're concentrating on your phone. You're not looking where you're going and you're bumping into people. So the idea was that in the Victorian quarter, they would put in this special lane on the footpath that was only for people who were texting. So to kind of, as somebody pointed out, wouldn't that have to be one way? Uh, you're going a one way direction and maybe on the other side you'd have it coming back the other way but you were only allowed into that section of the footpath when you had your head down and you were texting on your mobile phone and as I say when I got to talk about it in the last hour I did say people would you check the calendar please and check what date it is it is the 1st of April but lo and behold we're still getting in a lot of texts uh, about it let me give you some of them. Miriam Westcock says, Patricia, I really am hoping that this is an April Fool's Day joke about the footpaths in Cork City being used by people on their phones texting because my blood was starting to boil when I heard about the story to think people were getting that bad because nowadays you can't be up to what people want. So I hope it is an April Fool's Day joke 
laughing out loud says Mary in West Cork it is an April Fool's Day joke Mary don't be worrying and take a nice deep breath and let your blood pressure settle Catherine said Patricia the idea of a footpath for people who are on their smartphones my god what will they come up with next will it be the same for car drivers while on their phones well it shouldn't be are we that bad on our phones now that we can't walk on normal footpaths. One of the silliest things I've heard, to be honest. People are just gas nowadays, are they not? And that comes in from uh, Catherine, who, by the way, sent in that text after I'd mentioned that it was an April Fool's, but she obviously didn't hear that part when I mentioned that it was an April Fool's Day uh, joke. Uh, Dan says, Patricia, your news item that you're running this morning, morning special lanes for texting pedestrians. Do you think the powers that be would consider the same for texting motorists. It would make it much safer for the rest of us. Happy April Fools. So I'm assuming Dan straight away copped that it was uh, an April Fools. And Audrey says, I think the joke about the mobile phone lanes in Cork is an April Fools Day joke. What next will come our way? Ha, ha, ha. So a lot of people did get it, but a lot of people did get sucked in by it. And I have to give credit to the guys and gals in the C103 newsroom because they put together that piece and it just was a bit of a laugh for the day that's in it. And Jim, and I know when I was growing up, and I don't know if it's the same today, because I don't know, do children still get involved in trying to prank each other with uh, April Fool's Day jokes? I know when I was growing up, you were only allowed to do an April Fool's Day joke up to 12 midday. And if you did it after 12 midday, the f- you were made out to be the fool or something. There was some little joke that went with that, but it was only up to 12 midday and then it had to stop. So let's, let's, let's hope that that's it. That's the end uh, of it. Even though go through the newspapers, there's lots of stories in the newspapers that'll get you thinking, is it an April Fool's Day? Is it not an April Fool's Day? With a head scratching with some of the stories today, uh, that's for sure. Now, Jim is picking up um, the listener who got on to us yesterday. Let me see if I can find the original text or the this was the listener who got on to us this morning, but it was from a text that came in earlier. It was, here it is, Joe. Sorry, Joe, that I forgot your name. Joe in Aragon said, Hi, Patricia. I was watching the hurling game yesterday, Mayo v Cork in Croke Park, and uh, it was disgraceful. The Mayo fans should have been left onto the pitch afterwards. And Joe ended his text by saying, God help Croke Park if Cork hurlers win in an All-Ireland, because I'll be out in that field says Joe from Aragon. And I was just making the point, you know, how did that all come about? Was it to do with safety? Are we back to health and safety again? What was the reason for it? And how did other people feel about the invasion of the pitch, as it was often referred to? Are the fans being allowed out just to celebrate? They're so excited with the win, etc. Well, Jim says, Patricia, it is for health and safety reasons that they've stopped fans going on to the pitch. But what was particularly disgraceful yesterday was that the Stewarts wouldn't leave an injured Mayo player, Tom Parsons, onto the pitch to celebrate with his teammates. And some of the Stewarts really like to show their authority and they appear to Jim to be on some kind of a power trip. And they wouldn't even recognise Tom Parsons anyway, says Jim. And maybe that was the problem. Maybe they didn't realise that he was part of that team. But because of an injury, he wasn't playing uh, yesterday. And that must have been very disappointing for Tom Parsons not to be left on to the pitch. And I suppose for the Stuarts, them's are the rules kind of thing. They're told you're not allowed, you're not allowed to allow anyone onto the pitch 
and you know they're they have a job to do and they're doing their job and it is it's very frustrating for people who want to get onto the pitch but I could see it being particularly frustrating for that young man Tom Parsons who wanted to get on and then wasn't allowed on because he became part of the general fan base and was told no no one's allowed on that is uh, it 1850 John Paul taking your calls there are some uh, texts coming in as well following on from the interview I did with Zoe Tennyson this was the one on the new traffic plan for Bandon Dermot in Bandon said the traffic with schools on Convent Hill is so much worse because of the narrow street but outside of school times the speed of cars up this hill is unbelievable cars just seem to speed when driving up the hill it's a narrow street with cars parked on either side also young children live on this street can anything be done we have other what have other towns done with situations like this it must be an issue in other towns it can't just be a abandoned uh, issue and there was also a couple of texts in on it from somebody saying this government have the country destroyed with laws or oh, that was to do with drink driving sorry they've they uh, someone uh, felt the, it's the government country destroyed the sooner they're gone the better that was from John someone else wants to know what our local councillor is saying about the issue in Bandon well local councillors councillor Jill Coughlin was mentioned she's fighting it and you've got a local politician fighting it in the Jim Daly is against the plans uh, for Bandon as well and just one more on Bandon Patricia thanks for doing the piece on the plans for Bandon's Northern Relief Road I'm flabbergasted to hear of this what is the sense in it it's a nightmare on Convent Hill as it is I'm amazed that there hasn't been a fatality uh, it would be the death of the town if they go ahead with that proposed plan. Am I going to this uh, now? 1850 333 103. Okay, and I'm told John Paul categorically states this is not an April Fool's. It's to do with pedestrian lights on footpaths in Spain. Uh, this is Anne in Dramoc, uh, or Anna. Good afternoon, Anna. Good afternoon, Patricia. How now, the, are now you? You, you are absolutely. 100% telling me this is not an April Fool's. This is not an April Fool at all, Patricia. We were so impressed. My husband and I were over in Girona in Spain at a rally. He's very much into motorsport. And um, when we were crossing at the pedestrian crossings in Girona, it's two hours from Barcelona. It's not a big place. And uh, on the pavement, there were uh, green, amber and red illuminated flags and this was especially for people on their mobiles when they didn't have to look up at the lights this was on the footpath for them to know when they could go green for go and red to stop and uh, we thought it was fabulous there was nobody walking out in front of cars or bicycles and we thought it was really uh, the way forward because lots of people are on their their devices and uh, we thought it was very safe and we thought my this is very progressive and uh, it was helpful, I have to say. And uh, we were we were really taken aback by it. And we were a long time looking at the pavement, wondering what were these colours for. <laughs> and it suddenly clicked. And we were very impressed. So and, it's uh, a little bit like the powers that be have decided if you ca- yes. if we can't beat them and we can't get Join. them to stop, yeah. let's yes. help them out. Let's stop and accidents. And don't have them being knocked down. 
Yeah. And we thought even if you had your music on, young people had their radio things on, listening to music. Headphones, and they were yeah. looking down at the flags and they were, off they went. And we thought, wow, that's great. I embrace this. You know, we have these devices. It's technology now and it's the way, the way people are, are operating. So, like, Girona, as I said, there was a cathedral there because I went there on Patrick's Day to Mass. And, um, like, it was, it's, it's a big place, but it's not huge, you know, and it's two hours from Barcelona and people fly in there. It's an hour from the beach and they fly in there from Cork, from Mayon, and uh, they spend long weekends there and it's a gorgeous place and you're an hour away from a beautiful beach. And, and where do you, you fly, do you fly into Barcelona? No. You, no, 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 you can fly to Girona. Oh, you can and fly to Girona, okay. Yes. Now, we had to fly to Barcelona because it was March. But from Mayon, you fly into Girona from, from Cork. Brilliant. And um, you, you spend a long weekend there and you can go down to the beach and back again. It's very accessible, under two hours flight, gorgeous, not expensive place at all. A Ryanair flight, I think, return didn't cost us very much. And um, it was, I have to say, a fabulous place. Weather beautiful? And, uh, it was beautiful. Was this, and the yeah. old town and the new town and the cathedrals. And they were all saying to me, Happy St. Patrick's ah, Day. And they wanted ah. me to sing Hail Glorious St. Patrick at Mass, which I did. Did oh, you? It was, uh, it, I did. And it wasn't a big Mass. There were several Masses. But there was lots of... There was people coming up, elderly people saying, Oh, Happy St. Patrick's Day. And he is your national... Uh, he is your national... Um, your patron saint. saint. Patron saint. I said, yes, he banished the snakes. <laughs> we had a great fun. We had great fun. And I sang it for several people. <laughs> and, but you go, go back to, you sang it in the cathedral. Well, no, it wasn't full, Patricia. It doesn't matter. Terribly owned building. There was about 100 people there. But I went to confession, you see, to the priest who spoke French. The confession was before Mass. Now, he did tell me the spattering of English. Okay. So I thought, you know what? This will pass. Yeah. <laughs> and I went into confession. He said, you're Irish. And I said, yes, you want to bow ahead, glory to St. Patrick. And he said, I'd love it. Would you sing it as communion? And I said, I will, Father. And I sang um, a little bit of it for him. And uh, I didn't go over the top now, you know. But and did you, get up on the, did you get up on the I altar, else? I did, but I would be used to that. Ah, oh, that's, and, and I see, that's I, the it difference. Wouldn't, it wouldn't phase me, like, you know. But I wasn't at home for St. Patrick's Day, and I was very patriotic, and I do love to sing at St. Patrick's Day in our local church. Well done, and it's and, a great uh, song. With the choir, like, with the choir. Well, well, and, well done. Uh, You've done us proud in, in, in Girona. I loved it, and they were thrilled. And they how was the, was the rallying good? It was fabulous. Was there was it? a few little hiccups now, all right, you know. But, I mean, they loved it. And they loved getting out into the mountains and out into the closed roads. And the people loved it, of course. And uh, they had old, uh, very beautiful cars, you know, historic cars. And it was smashing. OK, and there's a first for us. Traffic light symbols on the footpath to there keep everybody are. safe. Anna, there thank you, you for that. God and uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for joining us. 1850-333-103. We are getting some more sightings of uh, swallows. The four spotted in Mornabi seem to be the most. Um, I saw a swallow in Kilbehany last Friday, says Tom. So that's beating the four that were in Mornabi uh, yesterday. 
Thank you for that. Can I also put out, and, and I know we're, we're, we're trying to find out from the council if this is true, because I'm not convinced that it's true. And one wonders, you know, the way sometimes a rumour goes around and, and anecdotally and then everybody starts to believe it. A listener is wondering about buying a grave plot in McCroom. And the listener is led to believe that you can only buy a grave plot when a person passes away and then you can only buy one. But yet this person has seen several double graves purchased recently and is wondering how people are getting away with that when they were led to believe that you could only buy a grave plot in McCroom when the person dies. Now, I don't know if that's true. So we are. I know John Paul is trying to get it uh, checked out. I don't know if that's true or is it John Paul was making the point, is it because the graveyard is nearly full so they're not forward planning buying, selling graves. I mean, some people buy their plots and have family plots. But I don't know. Uh, can you buy one in advance of somebody passing away? We'll, we'll look into it. And if it is it just in McCroom or is it across all of Cork County's cemeteries? 1850 I don't know if anybody else has... The, has the inside track on that if not and Mike in Bantry when we were talking about mental health when we had that great discussion with uh, Graham in the last hour says Grow Patricia is a really good organisation for people that are battling with uh, mental health and uh, Mike would advise anyone in need of support to go along to a local Grow meeting thank you for that Mike to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie Gagging Community Alert Meeting is taking place tonight, 8 o'clock in Gagging Community Hall. All are welcome. And Donnerail Tidy Towns Group, they're meeting tonight for litter picking, 7pm this evening from the Convent Road and uh, up to Box Cross. Kilworth Dramatic Society will stage their production of Unforgiven by John McDwyer. It's in Kilworth Community Hall tomorrow, Tuesday and again on Wednesday, 8 o'clock each night, a performance not to be missed. And as part of the Cope Foundation's Flowers of Hope fundraising campaign, a coffee morning will be held in the Cope Centre in Quartertown in Mallow this Wednesday morning from 10am to 12 noon. And Dunmanway Social Group, they meet every Thursday... Um, across from the model school with teas and coffee, scones etc from 10.30 in the morning and then lunches are available from 12.30 to 2. You're invited to come along enjoy good company home cooked food and a variety of social activities all for under 10 euro. You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed. And if you have a question for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, get it in. She joins us in the next few minutes, 1850 We were talking about the swallows being the start of, meaning that summer's on the way and it's usually the sign of a good spring as well. John and Cove says the first cruise liner arrived in Cove this morning. There was a peaceful protest at the Deep Water Quay this morning. A lot of good support. And this is to keep the quay open to locals as the Port of Cork, we've covered this on the programme, want to close the right of way. It's the Astoria, is the cruise ship. And the protesters are not against, the protest is not against cruise ships. It's just about the closing of the public path 
ways. I wonder how that protest, how that went down by the people getting off the cruise ship. Did anybody notice it? Did anybody comment on it? I think one of the, I can absolutely see why people are so upset by it because it it is a right away and has been a right away uh, for many years. But, you know, one of the arguments against people protesting was the image. You know, you don't want people going away saying, oh, what do you remember of Cove? Oh, there was a group of people protesting, even though John describes that as a very peaceful protest, uh, that uh, maybe even the people coming off the ship didn't even notice it. We have a bigger worry, the the issue that we addressed last week, much bigger worry for Cove with the news that Dublin Port have decided to have the number of cruise ships coming into Dublin Port from 2021. They're under having the numbers, I think 170 odd cruise ships came into Dublin Port uh, last year, roughly the same expected this year. They're bringing that down to 280. I still can't get an accurate figure on how many cruise liners dock in Dublin first and then come down to Cove uh, because obviously the problem is if they don't come to Dublin the worry is that they may not come to Cove now I know there's the fights on now to try to get any of the ones that are not going to dock dock in Dublin could we persuade them to come to Cove uh, instead but I did manage uh, to find out about one ship already made the decision and decided no not going to go to Dublin at all and not coming to Ireland they're going to Liverpool instead and we know that with cruise liners because they sell them in advance and people plan holidays in advance so all of those routes are planned and destinations and what people would do when they get off the cruise that's all done well in advance probably a full year if not more uh, in advance and the real worry and concern would be that if we lost cruise liners and they go like that one that's pulled out of Dublin and decided to go to Liverpool instead it's hard to win back that trade see me within the cruise industry it's very hard uh, to win it back so I mean we want to hang on to every cruise ship that we have and try to encourage more because we know that they bring money into the area Okay, some of your calls coming in as well. Phone lines have been busy, by the way. We've been trying to get through to John Paul, particularly if it's a question for Annalise. If you want to text them, you can. You can text because they come straight into me here at the studio. 086-2103-103. You can text or you can WhatsApp. Some of your texts that have come in to us. Jared says, morning, Patricia. You mentioned the April weather earlier, but whatever the weather. April 15th is a big day for many. That's when Game of Thrones returns. As usual, it'll be broadcast around the world at the same time as the US showing and I predict record-breaking viewing figures for its 1am on the Monday morning is the time it'll be shown here, says uh, Jared and I, yeah, I have I know a lot of family members, very, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan, so I'll be, I'll be the first one to fess up and uh, say that but I have family members who literally are counting down to the start of Game of Thrones getting very, very excited I mean people that are into it are really into uh, Game of Thrones, April 15th, so two weeks, it's only two weeks yeah, it's only two weeks tonight will be the first broadcast for uh, Game of Thrones. Um, hi Trish, I haven't seen the Clancy ad uh, regarding unaccompanied learner drivers recently on t- TV. Has it been withdrawn? We've sent an email off to the RSA just to find out when it's back again. I know the last time that there was disagreement about this particular ad uh, of which we covered here on the programme when we checked with the RSA they said that it was going to be running at that stage for another week or two and then they were withdrawing it but it would come back again but that's what they do with those very powerful ads it's like their other ad that I think would stop you in your tracks a little bit like the Clancy 
Amendment ad does is the one where the little boy gets killed by the drunk driver. You know that ad where you watch all the family and everyone that was helped out or tried to save the little boy's life on the day of the, of the crash. That ad, they it'll they rotate it. It might run for six weeks and then you mightn't see it for two months and then it might be back on again for another six weeks. Well, they're planning well, the last interaction we had with the RSA, we were told it would be withdrawn at the end of the period, but it would be back again. So we've, we've sent an email off to try to find out when, if they are planning on bringing it back, because they did get they did get an amount of criticism about the nature of the ad. So I don't know. Uh, I can't see it changing their minds. I really can't. But as I say, we'll, we've sent an email off to the RSA, 1850 on guard. The, on the beat that we spoke about with World Policing. Tim says more than once I've suggested that the Reserve, formerly the FCA, should do some of their training out on in rural areas, out on the beat almost. Also dogs should be let loose on late night uninvited visitors. Are you talking about trained dogs like that would, that would attack? Uh, Finney McGrath should do something about the law that would punish somebody from protecting their property but let robbers go free, says Tim. That'll be more in his line to do that instead. Sandy said, I know it's a joke, though this was on our April Fool's joke about the section of a footpath being made, especially for people on their mobile phones, for the, how do they put it, the head down generation. Sandy said, I know it's a joke, but councils should seriously consider putting signposts at ground level or putting in a rough portion at the side and end of footpaths to let Googlers know the path has come to an end. They never look up. The number of humpbacks and fat necks in society will be a medical problem in the future, says Andy. I often wonder about that as well with the amount of young people constantly having their neck down. Is it going to cause problems in years to come? Because remember, this is the first generation that has grown up with a smartphone. So we don't know and we won't know until years time. Well, they look back and go, that's the reason that we have all the people who are having neck problems or having humps on their back is because of the way they were in their teenage years and, and as young adults with their head uh, down. Uh, but Sandy sent in that text, um, probably around about the time that I was talking with Anna, who spoke about what is happening in Spain, that they have that system. Well, you know, if they can't beat him, join them. They've done something to facilitate. And obviously there's too many people walking out under cars, so they have to do something. So they have this system on the footpath, so with your head down, you can see the light is red, the light is green, you can go, you can stop. It'll be interesting to see, would we get something like that uh, here? 1850 333 Um What else is here? Hi, uh, Patricia, listening to you about the swallows arriving. I actually saw my first swallow of the year on the 17th of February at Dublin Pike near Blackpool. I was walking my dog's you might be interested to hear that says Peter I am indeed very interested because we thought we had the end of March we thought they were the first sightings of a swallow but there's Peter saying no 17th of February he saw the first swallow of this season This is the Court Today replay on C103 Let's head to the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic where we're joined by Annalise Drussell. Uh, good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Uh, and you are welcome to the programme. Let's get straight into questions. How can blood pressure, blood pressure and cholesterol tablets, can they cause weight increase? Dan wants to know. Um, I suppose, yes, they could. It's probably more likely to be the blood pressure one. 
And I wonder, is it even weight increased or would it be maybe water retention? Um, that can happen sometimes on the blood pressure medications. So it would feel like you'd gained a lot of weight. One way to know would be that maybe you'd notice your ankles and your wrists and fingers were a bit puffy. And if you press on the skin, it kind of dimples and it pushes in and it doesn't pop straight back out. You know, it takes a, a 30 seconds to kind of pop back out. So that's kind of a pure sign of water retention and that will cause the gain in weight. Um, the cholesterol tablets generally wouldn't cause a gain in weight. But you know what, Patricia? People will react very differently to drugs. So I always say never say never. You just don't know. It might, even if it's not common, it might be the case for you. So the only way to know, obviously, would be to stop. Just completely stop. Yeah. Now, the only thing is, is I wouldn't advise stopping the blood pressure medication. Cholesterol, okay. because cholesterol prevents the buildup of plaque. It takes a while for the plaque to build up. So if you wanted to try going off that, it's not going to be life-threatening. Whereas if you're on blood pressure medication because your blood pressure was very high and you come off it, you could your blood pressure could elevate again. And the risk of that, of course, is a stroke. So it might be that you might need to maybe talk to your doctor about changing that medication and you could try coming off the cholesterol drug for a couple of months and see does it make a difference. Okay. Is there anything Annalise could suggest to increase one's metabolism? My metabolism has slowed down. Oh, Patricia. If I only knew I'd be a rich <laughs> A magic <woman>. pill. <laughs> there are a couple of things that, that can help. Um, but to be honest, it's really about diet and exercise and specifically when you get older as well, it's you're really battling, battling against age at that stage. So it really is about cutting your portions down uh, because you don't need as much food and getting more exercise in to, to increase your metabolism. So when you when you lift weights or do any kind of heavy weight-bearing exercise, that increases the metabolism in your muscles and it can last for up to 24 hours after a weightlifting session. So that could be something to give a try to. Um all exercise actually will help increase your metabolism, not just while you're exercising, but afterwards as well. Now, it's not a lot. Again, it might only be 10%, but every percentage counts. And then in terms of supplements, you could try a thyroid supplement to see would it be that your thyroid has slowed down because that would decrease your metabolism. So you could take a natural supplement that would just put everything in to support the thyroid to create uh, the thyroid hormone effectively and to convert it effectively. So a good health shop will have a number of those that'll help you choose a good one. And then there is a number of different ones like um, green tea extract, green coffee extract, KN extract, uh, Garcinia cambogia. These are all ones that can help you um, increase the fat burning in your body. The only thing is, is that there's no point taking them and sitting on the couch. They'll only increase your fat burning if you go out for a walk or do some type of exercise. But rather than burn your blood sugar, it will encourage the fat burning to fuel your exercise. So they can help. Again, maybe only a 5%, 10% difference, but it might help if it's only a little bit of weight you're looking to lose. Okay. Hi, uh, Patricia. Could you ask Annalise? I have Macanta, an Irish product, L-theamine, L-theamine complex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many should I take for feeling down after a bereavement? Or would there be a better product that you could suggest? Yes, yeah, so L-theanine is an amino acid that they isolate generally from green tea. I'm not familiar with that exact product, but okay. generally L-theanine comes in either 100 or 200 milligram capsules. And I find that it's great for kind of focus and calm if you're feeling a bit anxious. Um, 
to be honest, you can take it three or four times a day. So it's hard to overdose on it. Um, that might help um, with bereavement. And if you're feeling, you know, if you've got that sort of awful jittery kind of raw feeling in your stomach. Um, other things that can help as well, like valerian is excellent, I think, for um, for when you feel overwrought. And I, the product that I probably sell more of in the shop than anything else is the Dr. Delish Clare Relax Blend. And there's a blend of different herbs in there, including valerian. And it kicks in when you take it within about five to ten minutes. So you can kind of take it as needed, as opposed to the Altinian, you might need to take it, you know, proactively in the morning and again at lunchtime and again at night. But with the Delish Clare blend, um, you could take it if you start feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And it does kick in to make you feel wonderfully calm. Um, you can could drive a plane on it. It won't affect your ability to drive or anything like that. It doesn't make you sleepy. And a lot of people would use it at night to stop the busy brain and to relax them yeah. before they get into bed as well. Yeah, it's just that awful journey of bereavement that, uh, that unfortunately there's no magic pill will take it away, but it's, just, not to, really. no, it's and just to get you know, through it. You can kind of be sticky in your stomach as well, Patricia, and yeah. I'm getting very good feedback on the Zen Flora. It's been heavily advertised as well, I think, so people are asking me a lot about it. It's a probiotic that has been developed by... Um, the I, the cork-based company and they had developed another one, Alflorex, in the CUH and this one helps to tie the stomach and the brain. So it, I'm getting very good feedback for people who would have had a nervous stam- stomach so when they felt anxious their stomach would mm. act up and vice versa. So that could be another one to try if your stomach is feeling, you know, butterfly and sick. I know. Okay, Noreen in Mallow says, I hear Annalise on about taking supplements um, and I have supplements, but it says on the pack to take them either morning or evening and usually before or after food. I wonder uh, with, when you're taking supplements, if you forget to take them, say in the morning time and you take them during the day, does it make a difference? Will the supplement work as well? Well, I think probably more or less, Patricia, but I think... You see, if you take a supplement, it's going through your digestive system. So there's no point really taking anything very late at night because your digestive process will slow down. So, you know, if you're taking a multivitamin or B vitamins, they're important for kind of energy and to boost your immune system. And you need that throughout the day. So I would, if you forget to take it in in the morning, take it at lunch. But, um, you know, it's probably a bit late to be taking it after your dinner. And then there are certain ones actually that are better to take at night. So magnesium, I always recommend if people want to take that, to take it late at night because if you take it in a high dose, it can interfere with the absorption of calcium, which could be a problem if you have osteoporosis or osteopenia. So if you take it late at night, um, say half an hour before you go to bed, it can be very relaxing and calming for sleep and it shouldn't interfere with calcium absorption throughout the night. Your body will absorb what it can. But for other ones, um, always better to take after food if it's like a fish oil, I think it's good to take it with a meal that has fat in it so that it'll be absorbed a little bit better. So unless you're having eggs for breakfast, maybe your lunch or your dinner. Uh, but for the multivitamins and the B vitamins and the immune boosting ones, try to take them in the morning and by the latest, you know, midday lunch. Mm. Uh, Ulan any remedy for dry skin on the face? Part of my face appears to have gone bright red and the skin seems to be very dry. Okay, so, well, I mean, just if it's just on the face, if it's gone very red, that doesn't sound right to me. Um, sometimes you can be reacting to something. So if you changed your face cream or your shampoo or anything that by, might be going down on your face, it might be that you're reacting to that and that's causing the reaction and the dryness. 
There are some very good natural moisturisers that can help. I'm a big fan of the Walida Skin Food. Um, it's a very, very old moisturiser and um, it's a bit of a cult product, but it's been around for years. I think my dad remembers it as from being a child in Germany. When he was growing up, they had no medicine. Um, they relied on the Walida homeopathic. So the Skin Food is a lovely one for really dry skin and it's very, it's very unusual that anyone would react to it. So try that, but take a note and see, would it be that you've changed your washing powder, your shampoo or your makeup uh, because that could be causing a reaction. Okay, someone wants to know, is Brewer's yeast capsules good for underactive thyroid, seeing as we were talking about that earlier? Well, possibly in a roundabout way. Brewer's yeast typically would be a good source of the B vitamins. So it's good for a B complex. And in a roundabout way, you would need B vitamins for your thyroid. But what you really want for an underactive thyroid is to put in mostly the... Um, the minerals iodine and selenium. So iodine helps you make your thyroid hormone and selenium helps you to convert it within your cells to the very active form that revs up your metabolism. So they would be the ones that I'd go for rather than the B, the, the brewer's yeast. But it's a lovely way to get your B vitamins in a natural way. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. Have a good week. We'll chat Thanks, next Monday. Patricia. Thanks for joining us. That is Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in uh, Ballancolic. Now, just uh, before I let you go, just to, up to, just to mention some of the things that we had on the programme today that people are looking for more details on. The Dress to Impress. This is the sale of um, loved dresses. Some of them brand new, actually. Uh, and they're going on sale. It's in aid of the Rainbow Club, which is a club for for uh, autistic children and the Dress to Impress dress sale is on in the Carol Geline Court Hotel next Sunday the 7th of April from 10am until 4 there's free entry there's thousands of dresses there's shoes there's handbags there's accessories there's a space there if you want to try them on uh, they're going to have raffle prizes it's a fun day out as well as it being a main fundraiser for the Rainbow Club so that's in the Carrigaline Court Hotel and it's next Sunday the 7th and then the day before the other issue that we spoke about when we spoke with Gray McCormack who is an MMA coach and mental health advocate and he spoke about the official opening of a special library called the Book Nook and that's all part of Lishing House that is going to open uh, at Lishing's House uh, Island Street Centre in Skibbereen. That's happening on the Saturday at two o'clock in the afternoon and again you're very welcome to go along and if people would like to have a chat with Graham and I think a lot of people would like to spend time in his uh, company. So impressive was he certainly when he chatted with us earlier today I imagine there'll be a big big turnout for that next Saturday two o'clock in the afternoon that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 onto the Line Patricia Messenger